You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Go ahead and tell someone beside you or across from me, in front of you, wherever it is, uh, the title of our sermon this morning, Our Mission. Our Mission. For the past couple of weeks, we've been going through our vision casting series. Uh, this is to refresh and to remind us the vision of our church plus life, which is to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also to reiterate our mission as a church, and that is to reach people with the gospel and to cultivate lives that revolve around Christ and also to reflect his love to the world. Now, as we always do whenever, whenever we do a vision casting series, we usually have a theme of some sort to tie everything together. And this time around, it is the theme of ambassadors, ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, the purpose of this whole series, and and especially why we're looking at this theme of ambassadors, is to really see how we can practically live out that call as ambassadors of God, as representatives of God. As we've been talking about for uh, these past few weeks, ambassadors were those who would come from from sovereignty, come from a kingdom to represent a king into a foreign nation. And oftentimes they would bring a message, a message, what they were saying in in behalf of the king, on behalf of the king. In the same way, we as ambassadors of Christ bring, bring to the world his message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. In the same way, ambassadors, when they come to a foreign nation, they're also meant to behave themselves, to conduct themselves in an inappropriate manner. And so in the same way, as we go into the world, as we talked about last week, we need to act a certain way. We need to behave a certain way, conduct our lives a certain way that reflects gratitude for what Christ has done in our lives, generosity and giving back to others and and, and, in a selfless way. And of course, we ought to be displaying godliness, a God-centered mindset, a a Christ-centered worldview. That's what we've talked about so far. And now this week, as we sort of tie everything together, as we close off this series, we're going to be talking about our mission. Our mission. Ambassadors to foreign nations often came with a mission. Maybe it was to establish some sort of trade agreement or uh, to distribute some relief or some aid to, to other countries, some sort of humanitarian relief to these other nations, these foreign nations, on behalf of their king. And the same thing with us as believers. We have a mission. Our mission is to bring the love of Christ to the world. To reflect the love of Christ to our communities and those around us, as our mission statement says. We we reflect the love of Christ to those in the world. So how how does this look like? What does this mean? Like, What kind of love are we to reflect to the world? That's sort of the, 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 the question that we'll be looking at this morning. And Really, when it comes to reflecting Christ's love, there's no better example than Christ himself, right? Um, from, our passage, this, from our passage of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, this is a very tangible demonstration of what it means to reflect his love, what kind of love the Savior has. Again, this, this washing of the feet seems almost out of place if you know the context of it. 
it talks about right in the beginning, that this is right before um, the Passover feast, right before or during the Last Supper, right before Jesus is about to be crucified on the cross. And yet, here he is washing his disciples' feet. I mean, you'd think, right? If you knew, if you knew that tomorrow you, you were going to die, that tomorrow would be your last day on this earth, what would you do? Maybe live it up with your friends. Maybe go, go sightseeing somewhere that you've never done or some, somewhere that you've never been before. Do something that you've never done before. Yet here is Jesus sort of in the final hours of his life or final hours of his earthly ministry at the very least. He chooses to wash his disciples' feet. And it's for specific purpose, at least from what we read in our passage. Look at verse 1 again with me. It says, now before the feast of the Passovers, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is, this is the premise of why Jesus is, is going to wash his disciples' feet. He loved his disciples. And we know that this is the kind of love that we ought to be reflecting because later on in verse 15, if you will, Jesus says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He's literally telling us, this is the example of what kind of love you ought to be showing to the world. The kind of love that you ought to be reflecting to the world. This is the example of Christ's love. And my hope for us this morning is that we, we learn from the Savior's example. That we truly love like Him as we're called to uh, do. As, as, not just as believers, but as a church community. But also that we would be reminded of the, the extent, the, the breadth, the, the length, the, the, the depth of Christ's love for us. That we'd be reminded of the Savior's love for us this morning. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, as we always do, we're, if you have your Bibles, please follow along with me. We're going to unpack the text with me. But before we get into that, uh, everyone say, jump for me. Amen. So, Let's go back to verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Again, the setting is right before the, the Last Supper. This is right as they're sitting down. This is the Passover meal, and right before Jesus is crucified. Now what's interesting, so again, context of this whole scene is Christ's love. Now, go to verse, verse 2. This is interesting. During supper... When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. That's all the way down to verse 4. Now, but this is interesting because he, John goes from the context of Christ's love in verse 1. Then verse 2, he gives a very interesting context of in which Christ shows that love. He goes straight into how the devil has already persuaded Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. But as we just read in ver from verse 3 onwards, in, especially in verse going through verse 5, it says, then he poured water into, base, into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I find this so interesting because God, John goes from Jesus loved his disciples, Judas is ready to betray him, and then Jesus goes on to wash his disciples' feet. You'd think if Jesus already knew that Judas was going to betray him, that maybe he'd skip a disciple, right? But there's no distinction that takes place in our passage. It says that Jesus washes all the disciples' feet, including Judas. 
Now, this gives us, gives us a good example of what love ought to be and what, the kind of love that we ought to be reflecting. The kind of love that we ought to be reflecting is a love that is complete. We are to love completely. Love completely. It's interesting that Jesus washed Judas' feet knowing that even that Judas would ultimately betray him. Here's a question for us this morning. Did Jesus love Judas? Absolutely. Jesus loved Judas. He said again, he loved them to the end. There's no distinction. There's no, there's no discrimination even towards Judas who he fully knew was going to betray him. Jesus loved the betrayer. He loved the, the one who would hand him over to finally die. And, of, and I think this is an interesting point because he didn't just love those who loved him back. He didn't just love those who were considered to be in the church. See, I think there's a tendency to create within our Christian communities little bubbles where we only love one another, where the, the only people that we communicate love to and, and give help to or, or show grace to are, are those who are sitting beside us in our pews, in our, in our seats. But as per Jesus' example, we know that Judas was going to betray him. We know that Judas wasn't, starting from the beginning of the Gospel of John, if you remember our series there, that from the beginning, Jesus knew that Judas would ultimately betray him. Yet here was Jesus still loving him, still showing him grace, still showing him kindness. If we only love the people in our, in our community, that's not real love. In fact, that's very impartial, and the Bible even talks about that. It defeats the purpose of even being ambassadors to the world, because if, if we're called to be ambassadors to the world that are, are to reflect the love of Christ, then we ought to be loving everyone, not just those who are in our midst, who are in our community. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus takes it to a whole other level. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What's interesting about this, this saying that Jesus is quoting here is that the first part of that verse or that first part of that line is actually from the Old Testament. You shall love your neighbor. That's from Deuteronomy. But the second part, and hate your enemy, is actually the, the, the application, the, the, the commentary that the Pharisees and the scribes place on that verse. They concluded, well, if you love your neighbor, then you must hate your enemy. That sounds logical. It's not at all. But in verse 44, it goes on to say, But I say to you, Jesus clarifies, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus elevates the command to love your enemy even higher, even more than just the ones who are around us, even more than the ones who like us, who like us back. He says you are to love your enemies as well. And he goes on to say, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus is telling us to learn from the Father himself. The Father who loves and blesses and shows grace both to the evil and the good. We are to be like our heavenly Father. Then going on to verse 46, Jesus continues, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not the, even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm creating a church. I'm creating my own people. I'm establishing my own people, and they're going to be different than the world. But if you continue to love only the people that like you, the people that sit beside you, the people that you agree with, 
You're no better than the people of the world. You're no better than the, you know, the, the, the political parties that, that only sort of gather together. You're no better than those who, who have the same worldview and, and sort of start a clique or a cliques and, and, and sort of have this tribalism mentality, which is exactly what the world is. Right? Unless you, unless you have, have the same worldview, unless you have the same sexual identity, unless you have the same political uh, preferences, the same car even, right? I remember when our car broke down and then uh, we had to drive a Jeep around for a couple of months, a big purple Jeep. I felt really cool driving the highway, right? And then when you drive by someone else who's, ride, who's driving a Jeep as well, you just look over and like, yeah, you know, we're you know, of the same tribe, you know? But that's often how the world works. We, we, we like tribalism, and there's this, idea of, 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 there's this idea of inclusivity that the world likes to promote, but the reality is, unless you think like them, unless you behave like them, unless you affirm or their convictions, unless you, you believe in exactly what they believe in, you're excluded. That's the world's definition of inclusivity. But that should not be the case in the church. That should not be the case for believers. In verse 48, Jesus goes on to say, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect in what? Perfect in love. Perfect in showing grace and mercy and, and kindness to both, both those you love and those who, would, who you would consider as enemies. Those who persecute you, even. So in terms of application, consider the circles that you are involved with, the communities that you are part of. Are they just full of people that look like you, that talk like you, that dress, that, 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 that believe in the same thing as you? Are those the only people that you're showing love to these days? Or are you showing love to your enemies as well, to those who are different than you? You know, a good easy, a good easy way to, to show love to your enemy, someone that maybe has offended you, someone that maybe has uh, hurt you in some way, the simple way is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and, and there's somebody that you need to forgive. Somebody that has offended you, that you would consider an enemy right now because of that offense. Christ calls us to love them just as he, as he loved us, to forgive them. And, and, and maybe for some of us, it's just a sense of partiality. You, you give favor over others. Um, you, you give favor over to some, over others. And James chapter 2 talks about that as well and calls partiality a sin, in fact, showing favoritism to certain groups. As believers, if we want to truly reflect the love of Christ, then we need to love everyone. Love everyone. Love completely. Now, going on, this, just backtracking a little into verse 4. It says in verse 4, so Jesus rose from supper. He, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this, I find this very interesting that, that John, as he's writing this, this gospel of his, that he includes so much detail into what Jesus did. He goes into it, you know, Jesus got up from supper. He took off his outer garments. He took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, then poured water into a basin. Like, we get it. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. And in fact, his readers who would be reading this would be like, 
we understand how washing feet looks like, right? This is, washing the feet was, was something very common, very normal in, in ancient times. If you remember, you probably recall, uh, you know, like you were there, but uh, people wore sandals in those days and they walked around most of the time and so their feet would get dirty and so whenever they would visit a house, they'd usually often get someone to wash the feet because that'd be the dirtiest part when they, when they have to sit at the table to eat. But Again, it's very interesting that John would include the details, all this detail uh, into what Jesus was doing. But I think what he's doing here specifically is communicating Christ's effort, his intentionality about going, about going to wash his disciples' feet. He, this methodical method of, of, of Jesus taking off his, his robes, he's putting this towel around his waist, getting the water basin just to wash his disciples' feet. And this is our second example from Christ about love. If we are to reflect Christ's love, then love needs to be methodical. It needs to be methodical. You know, it needs to be intentional. You need to put effort into the, 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 this act of love. So uh, there's a lot of uh, folks here in, in our community who are getting married Right. Uh, last night we were just enjoying uh, Jeeve and uh, Brother Jeeves and, and Sister Esther's uh, wedding. It was a phenomenal time. But there's more people to come, and uh, and just maybe some, uh, you know, some advice to some of the guys who are getting married. I know uh, we got William, we got Dave, we got Mark here somewhere. Right. Just some advice when you're getting married. Make sure the date that you're going to get married on doesn't fall into a month like Mother's Day or your, 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 your wife's uh, birthday, right? Listen, I fell for the trap. I'm just giving you some advice, okay, guys? I fell for the trap. May is the busiest month for me. Forget Christmas. Forget whatever, all the holiday. May is Mother's Day, Faye's birthday, and our anniversary. Three gifts, folks. Three gifts. Listen, you know, my dad was smart because he married my mom on her birthday, so he just, she, he just, he just has to get one gift, for her. So make sure you do that, okay, guys? Right? But it's a trap. Just say, no, it's not a trap. But, you know, but all of that to say, at the end of the day, month, that, that, that May month for me has to be very intentional. There's a lot of effort that needs to be put in place just to, just to be able to celebrate these, uh, these special days with my wife. Uh, but that's exactly what love is. It's methodical. It's intentional. It's it's less uh, spontaneous and more intentional. You need to be, you, you put effort and, and thought into the things that you love and to show, in, in terms of showing your love as well. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. That word earnestly in the original Greek, it also means fervently or zealously. Love requires not just passion, not just action, but a, a, a devotion to it whenever you're showing or demonstrating love. It's not, it's not a reckless action. It's a methodical, thought-out act. It should not become a routine either. Love should not be a, a, a thing that you sort of just do every week and, and communicate every week. It should be thought-out, methodical. And so in terms of application, when was the last time you were intentional about reflecting Christ's love? When was the last time that you, you said to yourself or you planned beforehand, okay, you know, we have uh, these resources, we have these finances, 
And we're going to set this aside just to be able to bless someone whenever that opportunity comes. Or, or, or you, know, you, you, you know beforehand, for example, you're getting off a highway and you know every time you get off that highway, you know that somebody's going to be standing on the side of that road asking for some spare change. And you know that. Or maybe some guy is standing outside of the grocery store asking for some spare change as well, some asking for some help. When was the last time that you prepared just to be able to show love to those individuals? You know, I think we, again, we can get in sort of the routine of things. And that love that we ought to be showing and demonstrating to the world becomes sort of just sort of habitual and it's just a motion that we do. It's time to give our tithes and offering this week. Okay, this is what we do. This is the transaction. That's it. But all of that, our service to others, our, 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 our actions to communicate and reflect Christ's love has to be intentional. It has to be methodical. It has to be thought out. Don't leave loving on others to chance. Be ready for it. Plan for it. Be intentional about it. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John, again, is communicating this idea of Christ's love that it has to be all-encompassing. Not just something that we say to people. Not just something that, that, that we sort of go through the motions of, but it needs to be indeed in action and in truth and complete conviction and, and encompassing even our minds. We are to reflect Christ's love in a methodical way. Love must be methodical. Let's go back to verse 6 to 9 now, where we left off. It says, he came to Simon, Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what, am I, what, I, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I love this part. Simon Peter said that, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I don't think Peter understood what he, what he was getting at there, but I, I love his, his, his passion at the end there. But what's interesting here is that well, what, what Jesus is referring to is this, some, this symbolism of him washing his people, cleansing them of sin. The, the blood that he's about to, before, the, the blood that he's about to spill on the cross of Calvary, a few hours after this scene, is, as we know, what cleanses us and what washes us. And what he's saying to Peter is that unless you are cleansed, unless you are washed by me, then you, are, you, have no part, you, you have no part with me. I love this as well because in the midst of Jesus trying to communicate love to his disciples, he's also recognizing the need to cleanse sin. In his love, in his love for his disciples, he's also recognizing how sinful his disciples are and the need for them to be washed. And I, I think that that has to be part of how we communicate love. As, I've, as I always mention, enabling someone to sin is not loving. Enabling someone to continue down a road of destruction is not loving. And Jesus in our, in our passage shows his, his, the lengths in which he goes to just even symbolically demonstrate to his disciples that, hey, I'm washing you so that you do not have to be sinful. You do not have to be dirty anymore. Sometimes we get this idea that it, for believers to be loving, that we can't talk about sin or hell or, or judge people. 
And oftentimes, this, the, the illustration of Jesus and the, the woman caught in adultery is the example that, that people bring up in John chapter 8. How, how this woman who was caught in adultery is brought before Jesus, and, and Jesus says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And people take that. See, Jesus didn't judge her. Jesus didn't call out her sin. The reality is he did. At the end of that passage, when everybody walks away, and it's only Jesus and this woman left, Jesus says, where are your, your accusers? They're all gone. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. That's love. That is love. Yeah, there, there's a sense in which you accept and you receive everyone, as we just talked about, you love completely, you love intentionally, methodically. There's also a sense where the best thing that you could do for someone in this life is to tell them about sin, warn them about the judgment towards sin. That's real love. But at the same time, you know, going back to our passage here, you know, again, Peter didn't understand what was going on with the washing of the feet and the symbolism there. And you can't really fault him for that because in reality, whose job was it to wash feet? Whose job was it in this scene to wash the feet? Well, in, in normal cases, if you're invited to home in ancient times, it'd usually be a servant who'd wash your feet. But in this case, there's no servant around, so there's masters, and there's, there's the master, Jesus Christ, and there's the disciples. So whose job was it to wash feet? The disciples. It was the disciples' job to wash Jesus' feet. But what's great about this entire scene is Jesus is once again exemplifying a great characteristic of love, a characteristic that we need in our love, and that is humility. Humility. That is sincere and genuine love. Uh, how do, if we want to reflect Christ's love, then love must be humble. Love must be humble. Jesus was once again humbling himself even to the place of a servant just to be able to communicate love to his disciples. And that's what he says, right, in verse 14 of our passage. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He's saying, I'm your, I'm your teacher. We've already established that. You're my disciples. But if I'm lowering myself, if I'm humbling myself just to demonstrate and communicate this love to you, then you should do the same. See, love requires humility. Love requires humility. You cannot love without humility. See, the opposite of that is what? Opposite of humility is pride. It's pride. And in, in the great love chapter of the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. The underlying theme in all, that, in all, that, all those statements is humility. If you are patient and kind towards someone, is, is, is that you're not putting your own time, you're not putting your own preferences or impressing those things on others. Love does not envy or boast. You're not elevating yourself. You're not saying, I deserve this. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not think so highly of itself. 
does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. All of these things are, are, are characteristics of pride. And to truly love, you must humble yourself. Pride is self-centered. It's self-seeking. It's self-preserving. That's not love at all. Love is the complete opposite of that. It is humility. It is the desire of laying down your own rights, your own preferences, just to serve another. Just, to, to, just so that another would feel welcomed or, or belong to some place or to some community. Love is the opposite of pride. It takes humility to love. You know, who's heard of the love languages? Yes? I'm sure everyone at this point has maybe heard of the love languages, right? There's physical touch, there's quality time, there's words of affirmation, and I think there's like food, right? Food is one of them. Um, at least that's for me. Uh, but no, it's acts of service. It's acts of service just in case, right? And I, I love the whole love languages thing, and, and it's a good tool to understand how, to, uh, how people receive love and how, how you also distribute love. And, so, and if you've ever done the test before, you know that you, you communicate love a certain way and you receive love a certain way. But what I've found, at least in more recent years, and, and how it's this, this whole love language thing is has really been popularized now in, in, in modern society is that it's, it's, turned into an, uh, it's turned into a pride issue. It's turned into a pride issue. And, and people have twisted it to, see, for example, you know, my, my love language, for example, is words of affirmation. And unless you affirm me, I'm not going to receive your love. That's a pride issue, right? Or, or the way that I like to show uh, uh, love is as acts of service, for example. And you're going to receive my acts of service, right? So it's become this thing of, of an issue of pride. But, and it's funny enough because that's exactly what's happening in our passage which, which, with, with Peter not wanting Jesus to, to, to wash his feet, right? He's not understanding that this is how Jesus is communicating love to him. And Peter's like, don't wash my feet, right? Don't wash my feet. But again, if, if you're caught up in, in that mindset of this is the only way that you can love me and this is the only way that I can love, that's a very selfish thing. That's a very selfish thing. You may be a quality time person, but if you stick to that, you, you close yourself off to the other ways that you can experience love from other people. And maybe that's maybe quality or maybe, you know, acts of service is your way of showing and communicating love, but if you only stick to that, then you only... you. you you diminish your potential in showing love to other people to only that. And again, it becomes a pride issue. Love must be humble. It must be willing to serve. It must be willing to go even to the lowest just to be able to communicate love to one another. Because at the end of the day, love requires sacrifice. Love's, love requires sacrifice. And... Philippians chapter 2, verse 38, and I think we've already looked at this passage in the series. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the, the, the depth, the, the width, the, the breadth in which Christ demonstrated his love towards us. And as Paul says, it is our example when we put others first, whenever we need to serve and show love to others. It's Christ's sacrificial love to us. Him being God coming down to earth and lowering himself even to the point or to the form of a servant ready to die. He humbled himself, the passage says. That's love. It requires humility. So, just by way of application, how do you display love? How, how, how do you display love to your neighbor, to those around you, to your coworkers, your friends, your classmates? Is there humility in your love? Or as we've been saying, is there, is there a sense of pride in your love? Is there a sense of, I'm going to, uh, this is how I show love. If you don't like it, then you can't have it, kind of deal. Or is your love sacrificial? Are you willing to lay down? Are you willing to give up? Are you willing to pay the cost just to show and reflect the love of Christ? Love must be humble. It's interesting because a couple of verses after this, John chapter 13, verse 34, it says, Jesus goes on to say, after giving this great demonstration of showing love to his disciples, he goes on to say, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The world will only know us as ambassadors of Christ, as representatives of God by our love. By our love. This is one of the qualifications, this is one of the criteria that Jesus says will, that you can identify a believer in. It's his love being reflected. We are called to be ambassadors of God. And say so again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of, for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That message, the way we behave and our, our mission in this world is to ultimately declare the love of God to a broken world to a world that desperately is seeking love in the wrong places. And as ambassadors of Christ, we are to bring that love, that message of love, that act of love to the world, letting them know that a loving God desires for them to be reconciled to himself. And if that's you this morning, if you have yet to encounter, experience, fully reconciled with the love of God this morning, that's the message for you. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Experience the love of God that he demonstrated on the cross where he died the death that you should have died, where, where he suffered the, the, the pain and, 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 and suffering, the punishment for our sins, where he ultimately poured out his love on the cross.
we implore you on behalf of a loving God, reconcile with him. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. And to do that, we must reflect his love. And love must be complete. We must love everyone. It must be methodical. It must be intentional. It must, it must not become a routine. It must be, there must be effort into it. And ultimately, love must be humble. It must exemplify the sacrificial love of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we are, we are reminded, O oh God, of, of the love that you have poured out on us. A love that was so undeserved, that was unmerited, that we never earned. Yet your word nonetheless says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we may never completely understand or know the depths of your love in this lifetime. Yet from what you have revealed to us through your word, through your son Jesus Christ, from what you have revealed to us, God, we, we as, as Paul says in, in that 2 Corinthians passage, God, we are controlled by your love. We are compelled by your love. We are motivated by your love to go and be your ambassadors to this world. To go and be your light. To be your mouthpiece. To be representatives of you in a world that is so broken, so full of sin, and so desperately seeking love. Real kind of love. True love. And I pray, Father God, as your ambassadors, that we would be able to communicate what true and real love is to the world. A love that is unfailing. A love that is kind. That is not arrogant. That is humble. That is complete. That is sacrificial. That is unconditional. I pray, Father God, that we would be able to exemplify your love to this world. Help us in this endeavor, God. We know where we fall short. Where we, we know, God, where we have taken advantage of your love as well. Where we have taken advantage of your grace. I pray, God, wherever we have fallen short, that you'd bring conviction and life change. And I pray, Father God, for those who have yet to, to reconcile themselves to you, O oh Lord. That God, Holy Spirit, you would move in their hearts this day. You replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. You would turn hearts and minds towards you. You would cleanse and wash. Forgiveness would break out. Reconciliation would take place in the midst of us, O Lord. That your love, your love, O Lord, would be displayed. God, we thank you. We say that we love you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.